right. We've got worship to do at the end of our service, so I don't have a ton of time. So go ahead and open real quickly uh, in your Bible to Acts chapter 16. Put a marker there and flip with me very quickly back to John chapter 4. We're going to set this message up with one verse from John chapter 4, and then we're going to spend the majority of our time in Acts 16 studying one story that I've actually never been able to preach on before. I'm really pumped to, to, to be able to preach it. But John 4, 23, Jesus is speaking. And he says this, and and before I get into this verse, let me just say this. We're in this kind of in-between. We just finished Thanksgiving. It's not quite December. It's not quite time to go big with our Christmas stuff. And so I was trying to figure out what's the right thing to communicate? What's the right thing to go to in God's word? And, And I felt like the common thread, the thing that can really unite Thanksgiving and Christmas is worship. Uh, Thanksgiving is, is an opportunity for us to give thanks, obviously, for us to take a step back. I don't know if you guys got to do that and go around the table or, or whatever and say what you're thankful for. But hopefully at some point through this past week, you had a moment to say, you know what, God, I am thankful for this. I'm thankful for th- this thing that you've given me, you've blessed me with, you've done for me. Uh, if nothing else, God, I'm thankful that Jesus died for me. Hopefully we had that opportunity. And, and then Christmas, of course, is so much uh, about Christmas that connects <laughs> to worship. We know the Magi came and they bowed down and they worshiped Jesus and they brought him gifts and, and so much of it, you know, the angels are singing glory to God in the highest uh, and on earth peace, goodwill towards men. There's so much worship in the Christmas story. So I felt like this is the right topic, the right thing to study as we transition from Thanksgiving to Christmas. And so in John four twenty three, Jesus is speaking and he says this, this very famous statement that I think we need to unpack a little bit this morning. He says, yet a time is coming and has now come when the true worshipers, everybody say true worshipers, when the true worshipers will worship the Father in spirit and in truth, for they are the kind of worshipers the Father seeks. I told you I've never preached Acts 16 before. I've preached John 4.23 many times. I think this is such a, a powerful and impactful verse. And we've looked many times at what, what is the, the difference between worshiping in spirit and worshiping in truth. What, what, what does that mean? And, and we're not really going to have time to unpack that today just to give it a very quick high level. What I believe, and there are many people who have different opinions on this, but I believe worshiping in spirit is kind of those emotional moments where we're connecting with God. It's those moments where, where we're in a worship service or we're one-on-one with God. And we're giving him our heart. We're pouring out our praise to him, our worship to him. And and worshiping him in truth is worshiping him in the way that we live. And allowing our life to line up with the things that we just sang. When when we say, God, you are good. God, I give you my heart. God, I give you everything. I surrender all. Worshiping in truth is actually surrendering all. And walking those things out. And worshiping in spirit is, is that spiritual connection with him. But I want to pull two other things from this verse that I think... uh, are very important for us to understand today. Two things that jump out at me this week, actually, as I read this verse. The first is this. God is seeking worshipers. He says they are the kind of worshipers that the Father seeks. Anytime I see something in Scripture that says that God is looking for something, it gets my attention. Because to me, why would God ever need to look for anything? He's God, right? Like, like you always heard that statement like uh, on a jewelry commercial or something. What do you get for the woman who has everything? Well, what do we get for the God who is everything? He's all-knowing. He's all-powerful. He's all-loving. He's omnipresent, omniscient, omnipowerful. He's all. 
right? He's all, and yet despite the truth that he is all, there is something that he desires. There is something that he's looking for. And here in John 4, 23, Jesus says he's seeking, he's looking for true worshipers. So anytime I see that, there's a little thing in my heart that leaps. Because I want to be whatever it is that God is looking for. If God is in heaven, on his throne, scanning the earth, looking into men's hearts and women's hearts, and he's looking for true worshipers, then dang it, I want to live up to that. I want to be that. I want God, when he comes to me, to say, there it is. There he is. That's what I'm looking for. That's what I want. That's what I've been searching for. Someone who will truly give me his worship in spirit and in truth. And I hope that there's something in your heart that leaps at that possibility as well. That God in heaven could actually be looking for you. See, this is the beauty of what God is looking for. There is no financial requirement on this. You don't have to be in a certain tax bracket. You don't have to be at a certain education level. You don't have to be of a certain race or ethnicity or gender or class. None of that matters. God just looks for the one who's willing to worship him in spirit and in truth. That means all of us in this room are eligible. But perhaps not all of us in this room are at that place. See, that's the other inference that I think we must make from this verse is, number one, God is seeking true worshipers. But number two, if there is true worship and true worshipers, then there must be false worship and false worshipers. For me, that's a scary thought. What if my worship to God sometimes measures as false? What if sometimes I just go through the motions? What if sometimes the outside looks right, but the inside is far from him? What if in this room today, there are those of us who would fall into the category of false worshipers? I don't say that to beat you down. I don't say that to condemn you. I say that to challenge you and hopefully convict you if you might be at that place, that God is calling us to something better, that God is inviting us to a greater place, that God is compelling us to take our worship to a new level. So in putting this message together, I try to figure out what's the the best way for us to to study this? What's the best way for us to teach this? What's the best way for us to dive into this? And God took me to this passage in Acts chapter 16. It's a story of two men named Paul and Silas. And it's one of the most incredible stories in scripture, certainly in the New Testament of worship. And so I want you to turn with me there to Acts chapter 16. We're going to start in verse 16. And, And I hope that we can discover in this passage together in the next 20 minutes Some principles of true worship, because I think it's possible, in fact, I think it's likely there are some of us in this room that fall into the category of false worshipers. And maybe at one point in time, maybe at one season in our life, we were true worshipers, and we were the ones that the Father was seeking. 
but we've allowed circumstance, we've allowed our surroundings, we've allowed life to distract us, to catch up with us, to dull that passion for him. And today our worship is simply external, but it's not real. There's no spirit. There's no truth. And if that is us today, let us allow Acts chapter 16 to speak to us, to encourage us, to illustrate for us how to be people of true worship. Starting in verse 16, we're going to fly through the first part of this passage just to give you the context of what's going on. And then about halfway through, we're going to slow down a little bit. It says, once when we were going to the place of prayer, by the way, Luke wrote this book, the same Luke who wrote the book of Luke. Uh, and so when he says we, he was actually with Paul for some of his missionary journeys. And there are sections in Acts where he uses we. Uh, when, he's, when he was actually an eyewitness uh, to the accounts. So he's, this is one of those. He says, once when we were going to the place of prayer, we were met by a female slave who had a spirit by which she predicted the future. She earned a great deal of money for her owners by fortune telling. She followed Paul and the rest of us shouting, these men are servants of the most high God who are telling you the way to be saved. She kept this up for many days. Finally, Paul became so annoyed. I love that in scripture, it says someone became annoyed. <laughs> Have you ever been annoyed with somebody? Uh, and you kind of feel unspiritual in those moments. Well, Paul, the apostle, the man of God, the greatest missionary who ever was, he got annoyed with somebody. That gives me some hope that I'm not as far off as sometimes I might think I am. Since Paul became annoyed after some time. Uh, and he turned around and he said to the spirit, in the name of Jesus Christ, I command you to come out of her. At that moment, the spirit left her. Already an awesome story, right? Like we could just right there, dude, God has authority over demons, over evil spirits. He freed this girl who was in spiritual captivity through Paul. Man, that's awesome. We could, we could stop right there and, and learn so much, but we're going to keep going. Verse 19, it says, when her owners realized that their hope of making money was gone, they seized Paul and Silas and dragged them into the marketplace to face the authorities. They brought them before the magistrates and they said, these men are Jews and are throwing our city into an uproar by advocating customs unlawful for us Romans to accept or practice. The crowd joined in the attack against Paul and Silas, and the magistrates ordered them to be stripped and beaten with rods. After they'd been severely flogged, they were thrown into prison, and the jailer was commanded to guard them carefully. When he received these orders, he put them in the inner cell and fastened their feet in stocks. All right, stop right there real quick. Paul and Silas just had a bad day right? Like, I don't know if your Thanksgiving was awesome, or maybe it wasn't so great. Maybe you saw some people at Thanksgiving that, that are difficult to see. Maybe you didn't have the things at Thanksgiving that you once had. Maybe somebody's not there anymore. They passed away, or they left your life, and it left a hole in your heart. And maybe this week was very difficult for you, and I don't mean to minimize that at all, but can I just say that we can probably all agree Paul had a worse day. Paul had a worse week, right? Like he was severely flogged, he was stripped naked, humiliated in public, flogged, beaten, and then he was placed in stocks. Thrown in prison for what? For freeing a girl from an evil spirit. Like it's one thing if you're thrown in prison because you're a scumbag. It's one thing if you're thrown in prison because you beat somebody over the head on Black Friday to get that last TV and you got what you deserved, right? Like you, you realize, okay, maybe I'm here because this is what I deserve. But when your only sin, your only mistake was you let someone be free from spiritual bondage, that's, 
it's a rough day. And I can just imagine if that was me or if that was you, chances are we're probably sitting in that jail cell feeling pretty sorry for ourselves. We're probably not going around the jail cell saying what we're thankful for. What are you thankful for today, Silas? Shut up, Paul. Like, right? Like, that, that's, the, that's how we would feel. That's how we would be in this moment. I don't think in the natural for sure I'm not in the moment where I'm like, let's have a worship service. But that is exactly what breaks out in this jail cell. Follow with me in verse 25. It says, about midnight, Paul and Silas were praying and singing hymns to God. In the midst of horrible circumstances, knowing that the chance exists that their life is going to be taken, that they can be put to death for this. And even if it's not, they may rot in jail for months or years. And even if they don't, they know I'm just going to have scars from this. I am physically beaten. I'm emotionally discouraged. I feel like maybe somewhere I missed God. Maybe I wasn't hearing from him, right? But I really feel like God told us to go here. And so now I'm feeling blaming God because I feel like he's the one who got me in this mess to begin with. And in the midst of that, of all all this emotional stuff coming to a head, what do they do? They worship God. They worship God. Can you agree with me for a moment that those are the true worshipers that God's seeking? That even in the midst of the worst day, even in the midst of everything falling around them, even in the midst of nothing going the way they feel it should go, and it's unjust, even in the midst of oppression, they say, you know what, God, I'm still going to worship you. See, there's a time coming, and it's now come when true worshipers will worship the Father in spirit and in truth, for they are the kind of worshipers the Father seeks. First thing I want you to write down this morning based on this passage, that true worship is not based on circumstance. See, sometimes I have great circumstances. And in America, most of us are really blessed, right? In America, most of us have, have things really good, especially compared to the rest of the world. In fact, I saw something on Facebook this week that, that I thought was so true. It said, somebody would kill to have your bad days. And that encouraged me. I needed to hear that reminder because sometimes my days have not been so great lately. I've been sick and my kid's sick and we've had some stuff going on with, with some family situations and extended family and whatnot. And, and so there's some challenges. And sometimes I start feeling sorry for myself. And it's like kick in the face. Yeah, somebody would kill to have my bad day. But I don't think anybody's killing to have Paul's bad day. Right? Like, I don't think too many people are lining up to trade places with Paul. Put me in prison, put me in stocks, beat me to an inch of my life, strip me naked in front of everybody for something that I didn't even do wrong. I want that. But in the midst of these circumstances, Paul worships. So can I just encourage you this morning? When it comes to your time with God, and I don't just mean our time when we sing three songs on Sunday morning. But when it comes to your time with God, when it comes to your corporate worship, or your private worship, when it comes to your vertical relationship, can we be big enough? Can we be strong enough to not worship God just when the things are going well? See, in fact, I think there's actually two types of Christians. Sometimes I think there, there are Christians who only worship God, who only honor God, who only serve God, who only give, who only go to church, who are only in the, in the game when things are going great. 
And when things are going, and you know, God's our, our cosmic genie, and I'm going to keep, as long as he's make, taking care of me, I'm going to worship him. As long as things are going good for me, I'm going to honor him. As long as things are, are exactly what I want, I'm going to sing to him. But man, when things go bad, I'm out. I'm checked out. And then there's the, the flip side kind of Christian, the ditch on the other side. And there's that Christian that when things are going good, I ain't got time for God. Things are going good, I'm, I'm, I'm good. But then somebody dies. Somebody gets sick. You lose your job. And then all of a sudden, we turn to God and we run to God and we give everything to God. And, and God is looking for worshipers who will worship him apart from circumstance. Not just when things are going good and not just when things are going bad. You see, if you read about Paul and Silas, you'll discover they were not in their most desperate moment and now they turn to God. They were turning to God and worshiping God and serving God day after day after day. And they were worshiping him on the good days. And they were singing hymns to him in prison on the bad days. And so we discover that if we're going to be the true worshipers that God is seeking, if you want that in your life, if you want that epitaph from God, that you're the one I'm looking for, then our worship can't be based on circumstance. I'm not saying we don't give God glory and credit in good circumstance. Yes, you get a job, you get a promotion, something good happens, you get married, you have a child. Yes, worship him, praise him for his blessings. I'm not saying not to do that, but that shouldn't be the only reason we're worshiping. Shouldn't be the only time that we worship him. See, a true worshiper is going to worship God apart from what's going on in our life. The economy's good, we're going to worship. The economy falls apart, we're going to worship. We have religious freedom, we're going to worship. We suffer persecution, we're going to worship. We're not going to allow our worship to be defined by our circumstance because if my worship is defined by my circumstance, I'm not worshiping God, I'm worshiping my circumstance. And Paul and Silas got this, and they understood that even when the world was falling apart around them, even when the lowest moment of their life was happening, that they were not worshiping circumstance, they were worshiping the Almighty God. And they were going to lift him up regardless, and they did. I could go so much longer, but I don't have time. We're going to stop right there and keep moving. Verse 25, again, says, About midnight, Paul and Silas were praying and singing hymns to God. The second thing we can glean from this about true worship is true worship is first not based on circumstance. Secondly, it's not based on environment. This is the last place you and I would expect a worship service to break out, right? In the middle of the prison. Maybe if Paul and Silas had a prison ministry and they were going in and they were, they were reaching out to the criminals and the murderers and the scumbags in prison, maybe we could see that there, there might be a worship service breakout, but not in the middle of the night, right? Like it'd be on the moment that it was convenient for them at a time that made sense. So often I think that we allow our worship to be dictated by our environment. Well, I'm not really feeling, there's not that many people at church today. I'm just going to kind of take it easy. You know, it's not really a good day. And I'm not really into the songs that they picked today. I don't really know this song. Or I'm tired of this song. We've done this song too many times. And we begin making our worship based on, on stuff about the environment. Man, we, we allow our worship to be dictated. Well, the screens are flashing today, and I can't see the words all the time. So I'll just coast through this song, and we'll worry about worshiping next week. Right? Don't, aren't we guilty of that? Well, hey, Hillsong United is in town. I'm going to be in the front row. 
I'm going to sing every song at the top of my lungs. And I love Hillsong United. And I want to go see him. But if I'm worshiping more passionately because Hillsong United is leading worship than I am because there, somebody else is leading worship, then I'm not worshiping God. I'm worshiping a worship leader. I'm worshiping a band. I'm worshiping a song. I'm worshiping a light show. What are we worshiping? See, true worship is not based on environment, and it's not based on style. We sang a very new song at the beginning of service today, Unstoppable God, and then we sang a very old song, a hymn, Nothing But the Blood, and we need to be able to worship regardless of whether it's a new song or it's a song that's hundreds of years old, whether it's a song that we think is played out or it's a song that we're so excited is up there because it's not about the song. It's about the God that the song is teaching us about and speaking of. Imagine in the prison, Paul starts singing. Silas says, Paul, I love you, man, but I'm tired of Amazing Grace. I've heard Amazing Grace one too many times on this mission trip. Isn't there something else we can sing in the prison? Like, imagine if, if that was the attitude, if that was the response. Imagine if, if Silas starts singing and Paul's like, yo, Silas, I love you, bro. But your, your voice just ain't that good. Why don't you, you just clap? I'll sing. You just keep the beat. You kind of, you, you can hum, you know, but man, there's, there's other people around. We don't need to hear this. Man, it's late at night. We don't want to, man, people going to hate us because they hear you singing. They're going to have nightmares, Silas. Imagine if that happened. Do you think something supernatural is going to take place in that worship service? Probably not. Because that's not true worship. Worshiping in spirit and in truth. But in this worship service, something's about to go down. If you don't know the story, something's about to change. Their circumstance, their environment is about to be flipped up upside down because they were willing to worship regardless of their circumstance and despite their environment. See, some of us, I think, we only worship when we come to church. We need somebody else to say, now is the time to worship. No, I guess I'm going to sing three songs. I'm going to put my 15 minutes of worship in for this week. Check. I'm good. And I hope you worship when you come to City Church. I hope you enter in at the end of service today. But if that's all our worship is, is it really even worship? Are we just kind of scratching the surface? See, what we want to do here is we want to create an environment that's going to encourage you to take a step in your worship that you can then carry home with you. Not just to have the place where you come and you worship for 15 minutes. And I think there's power in corporate worship. The Bible says that when two or more are gathered, that Jesus is right there. The Bible says that, that one can put 1,000 in flight and two can put 10,000. Something happens when we come together, but that shouldn't be all that's happened. Something should happen in me that I want to take home, and I'm going to worship God one-on-one -on -one in my own time. I've taught this before, but I wonder how many of you who are married, if the only time that you ever told your spouse that you love them is when other people are around, would your spouse really think that you love them? And vice versa, if the only time you ever tell your spouse that you love them is when nobody else is around, but when you're with the boys, it's like, all right, see you later. Does your spouse really think that you love them? See, with God, I believe it's the same way. I think that our worship needs to be both public and private, both corporate and personal. It needs to be both, not one or the other, but it is not based 
on environment. When I was in Bible college, when I really had to learn this lesson, because I grew up in a church, and my, my parents were church hoppers, but we were church hoppers in a particular strain uh, of, of Christianity that really emphasized worship. And we shouted and we danced and, and you know, we, we were charismaniacs or, or uh, you know, swinging on chandeliers, holy rollers. Like that was kind of what I grew up in. Uh, and, and so I learned to worship at an early age and, and I was passionate about worship. And I went to Bible college and I went with people from all other denominations and they didn't worship the way that I did. And so we used to have chapel five days a week. My freshman year, we had chapel every day. And I'd go to chapel, and, and they had different styles of worship on different days. They were themed. Uh, and so Monday would be hymns, like old, old, old school hymns. In fact, I remember one of them was about marching to their doom and how these missionaries were going off to die for Jesus. And I was like, that is the most terrifying song I've ever heard. Um, I don't know where it came from. haven't heard it since. Uh, we don't do it at City Church, but that was a song that they did, and I, I remember that, and there were other styles, and there was one day where it would be just a guy on a piano, and there was one day where they'd have kind of a, a worship band like we have, and there was one day where it'd be kind of random based on a senior would be giving his testimony, and the senior giving their testimony could choose what the worship was going to be that day. And so I remember when I first got there, I only worshiped on Wednesdays, because Wednesdays was my style, and the rest of it, I got comfortable. Found a good seat, I sing on Wednesday. I have my Bible out, I'll be ready when, when we teach, but I'm not getting into this other worship because this, this isn't how I worship. And I'd super spiritualize it, and oh, well, they're not entering in the way that I enter in. And they're not glorifying God the way that I enter, glorify God. And so I got this spiritual pride, and, and God had to break me of that. I mean, convict me of that. Are you worshiping the one who's leading worship? Are you worshiping the song that is being sung? Or are you worshiping the God who died for your sins? And I had to humble myself. I had to repent. I had to get right. And I had to be willing to enter in, no matter what the song was, no matter what the style was, no matter whether I liked the person's voice or didn't like the person's voice. But it taught me something that was so huge and so valuable. And I think Paul and Silas got that same lesson. They were willing to worship God in prison in stocks they couldn't raise their hands because their hands were in shackles but they were still going to worship god their worship was not based on their circumstance nor their environment let's move forward in the story Since about midnight, Paul and Silas were praying and singing hymns to God, and the other prisoners were listening to them. Suddenly, there was such a violent earthquake that the foundations of the prison were shaken. At once, all the prison doors flew open, and everyone's chains came loose. The jailer woke up, and when he saw the prison doors open, he drew his sword, and he was about to kill himself because he thought the prisoners had escaped. But Paul shouted, don't harm yourself. We are all here. The jailer called for lights. He rushed in, and he fell trembling before Paul and Silas. He then brought them out and asked, sirs, what must I do to be saved? They replied, believe in the Lord Jesus and you will be saved, you and your household. And they spoke the word of the Lord to him and to all the others in his house. At that hour of the night, the jailer took them and washed their wounds. Then immediately he and all his household were baptized. The jailer brought them into his house and set a meal before them. He was filled with joy because he had come to believe in God, he and his whole household. See, the story changes once Paul and Silas begin to worship. Once they begin to worship, despite 
what's going on around them, despite their circumstances, despite their surroundings, they begin to worship. And when they give true worship, God is sitting in heaven and he's scanning. He's looking for true worshipers. And he said, boom, Paul and Silas, there's some true worshipers. There's some worship going up from a prison cell. And God moved because they moved. God showed up and things happened. In fact, I want to show you exactly what did happen. Third thing you can write down is true worship frees the captives. When we will truly begin to worship God in spirit and in truth, the captives will be set free. And let me talk just a little bit about who these captives are. First, the thing that will be free when you worship in spirit and in truth is it's going to free your captive heart. That's the first captive that's set free. You see, Paul and Silas were free before the chains ever fell off. They were free before the prison walls ever fell down, before the doors ever swung open. They were free because their discovery of God's worth, I love that Matt talked about it, and the word is worth Skype. That's how you pronounce it, by the way, Matt. I got you on that one. Uh, but but it, the old English word, we worth Skype, and it means to ascribe worth. So they said, you know what, God, even though my life is jacked right now, even though I trade places with anybody out there in my situation and my circumstances and my surroundings, I understand that you're still worthy of my praise and I'm going to ascribe worth to you. I'm going to sing to you from my prison cell. And so as soon as they flipped that switch, as soon as they became those true worshipers that God was seeking, God was able to show up and free them. But the beauty of it is they were free before. See, their heart was free because they realized that God had set them free. And so they weren't worried about what people thought. They weren't worried about these other prisoners going to think we're crazy. They weren't worried about what's the jailer going to do to us. If we wake him up in the middle of the night from singing, we're going to get beaten and be in worse situation. They weren't going to lower themselves to worry about all this stuff around them because their focus was up. So their captive heart was the first thing that was freed. And if you'll enter into worship today, Man, when we sing here in just a few moments, if you'll give yourself to God, if you'll close your eyes and block out your surroundings, if you'll stretch your hands to heaven or, or take a knee or get on your face, if you'll step beyond what is usual, step beyond what is comfortable, step beyond what is typical, and truly sell out to him in passionate worship, what you're going to discover before anything else gets happens is your heart is going to be set free. The burden in your heart, the worry in your heart, the pain in your heart. You see, all of those things come when I'm looking around me, when I'm looking at my situation, when I'm looking at my circumstance. But when I lift up my eyes and I look to heaven, all of those chains on my heart fall off. The first thing that is set free is your heart. The second thing that true worship frees is your captive audience. See, I don't think that God is the only one looking for true worshipers. I think the world is looking for true worshipers. I think the lost are looking for true worshipers. See, I think that people out there are looking for authentic faith. And all the time they look around and they see faith that is not genuine. Faith that is not real. They see all these Christians ready to tell them all the things that they should do with their life and all the things that they should change about their situation and all the stuff that is wrong, and yet they're not seeing genuine, true Christianity. In many cases, I'm not saying nobody sees it or nobody's living it, but I think many, many times people don't see it. And I think the world is looking for true worshipers. Paul and Silas worship for real, and the jailer says, you know what, this Jesus dude must be for real. I need to know him. 
I need to give my life to him. Him and his whole family got saved. They got baptized. That night was a 180-degree turn for one family because two men were willing to worship with all that they were. Who is it in your world that God wants to set free if you'll set your heart free and begin to worship? Who is it in your world that God wants to save, wants to heal, wants to deliver, that there's going to be some power, there's going to be some authenticity, there's going to be some credibility to your story, to your testimony, to your invite when you tell them, man, why don't you come to church with me? Because you are starting to live it. You're starting to walk it. You're starting to model it. True worship frees the captives. It frees your captive heart and frees your captive audience. Our God is looking for worshipers. And I hope that when he looks into City Church Auditorium, he sees them. I hope that when he looks into City Church's hearts, he finds them. I hope when he looks at your pastor, he says, there's a true worshiper who will worship me in spirit and in truth. And I hope that you have that same 